So, uh, I took public speaking, and I'm going to say the thing they say not to say. I have no idea how this is going to go. Uh, don't, you're not supposed to admit anything like this, but uh, I prepared this in 20 hours, and in between that, I donkey balled and I slept. So, because those are priorities. Uh, uh, as, uh, as we heard, we, Chase is sick, uh, his whole family, uh, or most of his family appears to be sick, so keep them in your prayers. Uh, I'm going to try to follow Chase's uh, sermon series of Trust God, uh, but in my own way. I've also been told that I talk fast, and so we're going to do a lot of reading. Uh, so, my Bible in one hand and my tablet in the other, I think we're going to try to knock this one out here. So uh, I'd like to begin with prayer. Dear God, uh, thank you for the opportunity to uh, be in front of uh, the church, the congregation, uh, and to speak your words. Uh, be with uh, everyone here to have understanding for us to take what is said here during worship, here during communion, during the sermon and the music afterwards, for us to take that into our hearts, for us to take that into the rest of our week, the month, the rest of our lives, to our jobs, into our, our relationships. Uh, be with us to get something out of this day. In, in your name I pray. Amen. So we're going to talk about the book of Job. I told mom that and she goes, oh. <laughs> I think she has something against Job. Uh, I like Job. Uh, so we are going to talk about him. It's an interesting book. It's full of words. I don't know if anyone here has read Job, but it's just a philosophical discussion of justice. And it's presented in poetry. It's a, it's a book full of poetry and argument between Job and his friends. Uh, so you may know the story. Job was a wealthy individual. He had family. He had land. He had animals. He had everything that you would need, especially in that day, to live. But separate from that, separate from his wealth, was that he was blameless with complete integrity. He trusted God. And so God kind of has this, this proud parent moment here in uh, 1 Job uh, 1.8, he says, Then the Lord said, asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all of earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And so the Satan, as he's called, the Satan is a title, meaning the accuser. He has a different idea. He says, You always put a You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take everything away, everything, take everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So God's like, I don't think that's true. So he gives Satan the go-ahead, and Job loses everything. And he comes at him again, and he loses his health. He has no family. He has no land. He has no wealth. He is just a man who is with boils and is very unhealthy. Uh, so in this, in this distraught, he finally reaches a point, and uh, Job goes ahead and says this, Levi, you're going to have to follow along. At last Job spoke, and he cursed the day of his birth. He said, let the day of my birth be erased, and the night I was conceived. Let the day be turned into darkness. Let it be lost even to God on high and let no light shine on it. Let the darkness and utter gloom claim that day for its own. Let the black cloud overshadow it and let the darkness terrify it. 
Let the night be blotted off of the calendar, never again to be counted among the days of the year, never again to appear among the months. Let that day be childless. Let it have no joy. Let those who are experts at cursing, whose curses could rouse Leviathan, curse that day. Let that morning star remain dark. Let the hope for light, let it hope for light but in vain. May it never see the morning light. Curse the day for failing to shut my mother's womb, for letting me be born to see all this trouble. Why wasn't I born dead? Why didn't I, come, why didn't I die as I came out of the womb? Why did I lay on my mother's lap? Why did she nurse me at her breast? Had I died at birth, I would now be at peace. I would be asleep and at rest. He, he keeps going. I didn't read it all. Job, it's, po- it's long poetry. Job is just so distraught, cursing the day he was born. And to me, when I first read that, it seemed like he was almost suicidal, which you could take uh, and infer that to our lives. You know, a lot of days we see stuff like that. Uh, but Job's friends, Job's friends come around. He's, they sat with him for seven days and seven nights of silence. I can hardly stay quiet for like an hour, Okay. So to you, he is sitting there in anguish, you know, and he's read, he said all of this, and he's sitting there, and his friends are just sitting there, just seven days, seven nights. And then Job finally says something, and they go back and forth, and Job's friends say stuff like, bad things happen to bad people. That's why you're suffering. God is just and fair. You must have done something wrong. Stop being a bad person. And Job's like, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm innocent. Job said he doesn't deserve it. And that's where Job and humanity go wrong. We try to argue the truth and define justice to be, to define justice. Uh, I studied ethics, did a class in ethics, and it was such an annoying class. Uh, but the whole point of it is to define what's good, to define what's just. You know, how do you find your definition of justice? And so there's a whole class on this concept of justice, on this concept of good, of bad. Uh, we try to define good, right, and justice. Uh, but is God just? Well, that's what Job learns in this book. That's what this book tries to talk about. And in Job 13.3, uh, Job, uh, Job says, As for me, I would speak directly to the Almighty. I want to argue my case with God himself. It reads like a court case. God has been unrepresented in this argument, this long argument with his friends. He wants to defend his case in a heavenly courtroom. He wants God to take the stand. Uh, I also like, if you keep reading in the Bible, he calls his friends worthless quacks. I just use that in your week. I think it's a pretty good one. Uh, Job, Job wants a trial. He wants to show his innocence. He wants to be given justice. But God has a completely different idea. So if we'll turn to Job 38... God, he has gone back and forth, back and forth with his friends. His friends are telling him that he's done bad. And so Job's like, tell me what I've done wrong. What have I, why have you done this to me? I'm innocent. I don't deserve this. And God comes out of a completely different angle. God says, then the Lord answered Job with, with, from a world one. He's speaking from like a, like a hurricane in the sky. God is speaking from this. He says, Who is that to question my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I like that phrase. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? 
Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions by stretching out the surveying lines? Who supported its foundations and laid the cornerstone? At the morning start, and as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who kept the seas inside its barriers as it burst from the womb? And I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it around thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores, and I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here, your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear or caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you ever made the daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay is pressed beneath the seal, its robes with brilliant color. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that raised in violence. Have you explored the springs which the seas come from? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about if you know. Where does the light come from and where does the darkness go? Can you take each from its home? Do you know how to get there? But of course you know all this, for you were born before it was all created and you are so very experienced. Have you visited the storehouse of the snow or seen the storehouse of hail? I have reserved them as weapons for a time of trouble, for a day of battle and war. Where is the path of the source of light? Where is the home of the east wind? Who created the channel for the torrents of rain? Who laid out the path of the lightning? Who makes the rain fall on barren land and in deserts where no one lives? Who sends rain to satisfy and part, satisfy the parched ground and make the tender grass spring up? Why does the rain have a father? Does the rain have a father? Who gives birth to the dew? Who is the mother of the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? For the water turns to ice as hard as rock, and the surface of the water freezes. Can you direct the movement of the stars, binding the cluster of Pleditus, or loosening the cords of Orion? Can you direct the sequence of the seasons or guide the bears to our cubs across the heavens? Do you know the law of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you make the lightning appear and could you cause it to strike you direct? Who gives you intuition of the heart and instinct of the mind? Who is wise enough to count all the clouds? Who can tilt the water jars of heaven? when it is parched and dry, and the soil has hardened the clots. Can you stalk prey for the lionesses and satisfy the young lion's appetite as they lay in their dens, or crouch in the thicket? Who provides food for the ravens when their young cry out to God and wander about in hunger? Do you know when the goat, when the wild goat gives birth? Have you watched the deer, or have you watched as deer are born in the wild? Do you know how many months they carry their young? Are you aware of the time of their delivery? They crouch down to get... They crouch down to give birth to their young and deliver their offspring. The young grow up in open fields and they leave home and never return. Who gives the wild donkey its freedom? Who unties its ropes? I have placed it in the wilderness. Its home in the, in, is the wasteland. It hates the noise of the city and has no driver to shout at it. The mountains are its pasture land where it searches every braid of glass. Will the wild ox consent to being tamed? Will it spend the night in your stall? Can you hitch a plow? Can you hitch a wild ox to a plow? Can you plow the fields for you? Can you Given its strength, can you trust it? Can you leave and trust the ox to do your own work? Can you rely to bring it? And it keeps going. I'll stop there and spare you my reading. But God just goes and explains all these foreign concepts to Job. He just consistently challenges Job's authority. Job, you cannot tell me what is just. Your friends cannot define justice or explain it. You can't even begin to comprehend he says stuff like do you know how the eagles fly do you know how the deer give birth do you know how i formed the land and split the seas you were there right weren't you you weren't right oh wise one 
you probably know how to move the constellations in the sky. He goes completely and explains everything, and Job is just pretty much standing there with his mouth agape. Uh, Let's see if I can click to it. Here we go. Uh, He says, it says, Then the Lord said to Job, Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but 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 do you have the answers? Then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find my answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. How great is our Lord. His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond. Oh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sorry, guys. Okay, so Job is just completely overwhelmed. He has nothing to compare to God. He can't even begin to comprehend all of this that God has just said. Uh, in Psalms uh, 147, 5-10, it says, How great is our God. His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. The Lord supports the humble, but he brings the wicked down into dust. God's ways are beyond comprehension. He knows more than we ever could. He even says, oh, we're not there yet. Uh, in Matthew, he says, What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can fall into the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Do you know the numbers on your head? I'm sure Les and Dad probably do. Uh, but I, I have no idea how much is up here. But God does. It's, it's infallible to know that he just knows that. Uh, he says, not a single sparrow can fall from the ground without your father knowing it. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. One person more valuable than a whole flock of sparrows. And I think that's one of the coolest things is that we are so much more than a lot of, other, of, of all creation. Their, all creation was good, but we were very good. Uh, so take, take, for instance, something from creation, right? Uh, let's say angels. God created angels when he created heaven but we were better than them. And I watched a really cool video about angels and how Isaiah and Ezekiel and later John described them, and they are terrifying beasts. And it's nothing like how Michelangelo painted them on the Sistine Chapel. But these angels look more like something like this. Uh, this is, these are the cerebellum. Cerebellum, I think is how you say it. I mean, like, how cool are these... These heavenly creatures, heavenly beings. And there's so many more. That's the cerebellum. Here's the cherubellum. Just kidding. That's also how Michelangelo painted them on the Sistine Chapel. I guess chubby babies or angels. Here's how they actually look as described by the prophets. Uh, And these angels, the cherubellum, were the ones that God instructed to be put on the Ark of the Covenant. And that's what uh, Ezekiel saw them. And then my favorite one, my favorite one are the thrones. These ones are crazy. I mean, that doesn't even look like a person. Uh, And so uh, I also found a cool video on Reddit, of course, of uh, what they would look like, like, generated. And either this will work or Levi's going to pull up the video. So it's not going to work, so Levi, you're going to have to pull up the video. You know, I told you not to use the sound, but it's okay. (laughs) 
Levi, are you going to put it full screen, or are you just going to let us see half of it? Okay, restart it. So, that little, you see that little speck down there on that, like, mountain? That's, like, a representation of a person. So, it's like, imagine you're standing there, and this thing shows up. Yeah, be not afraid. That, yeah, that thing looks like it's about to shoot a laser at me. I, like, I would be on the ground so fast. I'd be on the ground faster than they could say be not afraid if that thing just popped up. These things are so cool. Thank you, Levi. Uh, so here's all, there's nine different types of angels described in the Bible. Uh, and I just showed you the cool ones. The other ones look more like people. But to, it's like, these things are so cool. And I, I'll, I'll just claim that Ezekiel saw these things and tried to describe them in man's words, in Hebrew. And then we translated those to English. And then someone interpreted those words. To, so to say this is exactly what they look like, who knows what they actually look like. Only Ezekiel saw them and tried, you know, it's incomprehensible to try to describe this. But this is just a comprehensible way of looking at them. But these, these are angels. These are what protect heaven. These are what worship God all the time. These beings are just so awe-striking, so vastly terrifying, so inconceivable. That it's crazy to think that God loves us mortal humans more than these divine beings. And even in Job, God describes some of his proud creations. Levi, you're going to follow along with me again. Here we go. We're going to go to, oh, that's backwards. We're going to go to Job 40. He says, and then the Lord, that's not where I'm at. Take a look at behemoth, which I made just as I made you. It eats grass like an ox. See its powerful loins and its muscles from its belly. Its tail is as strong as cedar. The shins of its thighs are knit tightly together. Its bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs are bars of iron. It's a prime example of God's handiwork, and only its creator can threaten it. The mountains offer it its best food, where all the wild animals play. It lies under the lotus plants, hidden in the reeds of the marsh. The lotus plants give it shade among the willows beside the streams. It is not disturbed by the raging river, not concerned with the swelling Jordan rushes around it. No one can catch it off guard or put a ring in its nose or lead it away. And he goes on to 41. He says, can you catch Leviathan with a hook and put a noose around its jaw? Can you tie it with a rope through its nose and pierce its jaw with a spike? Will it beg you for mercy or employ you for pity? Jumping over to 18, he says, When it sneezes, it flashes light. Its eyes are like the red of dawn. Lightning leaps from its mouth. Flames of fire flash out. Smoke steams from its nostrils like steams from a pot heated over burning rushes. Its breath would kindle coals for flames shoot out of its mouth. The tremendous strength and a Leviathan's neck spikes terror wherever strikes terror wherever it goes. Its flesh is hard and firm, and it cannot be penetrated. Its heart is hard as rock, hard as a millstone. When it rises, the mighty are afraid, gripped by terror. No sword can stop it. No spear, javelin, or no spear, dart, or javelin. Iron is nothing but a straw to the creature, and bronze is like rotten wood. Arrows cannot make it flee. Stones shot from a sling are like bits of grass. Clubs are like blades of grass, and it laughs at the swoosh of javelins. Its belly is coated with scales of sharp, with scales as sharp as glass. It plows the ground as it drags through the mud. So some people say that that's a, that's a hippo and a crocodile. A hippo? You think a crocodile is shooting fire out of its breath? Uh, 
I personally believe that God is describing a dinosaur in a dragon-like creature. Uh, the dinosaur really fits the, defi- uh, the description of a sauropod, which are these kinds of animals. I mean, look how huge that thing. That's a human right there. I think it's Stompia. And this, in the largest ones, they have femurs. Their femur bone is the size of a human is tall and way larger. Uh, they are a masterful com- creation of complex systems that allow these things to even walk, to move, and to even stand on their back legs. If a beast so large and masterfully created by God, if there is a beast so masterfully created by God, it's this thing. Uh, now, the Leviathan is a bit of a harder sell to believe that a fire-breathing sea dragon existed. It's kind of hard to believe, but I don't think Job is being metaphor. I mean, God is being metaphorical. I, I do think, from how he speaks, I think that he's describing an actual creature that existed and walked the earth that Job could have seen. Uh, but what isn't hard to believe is how untamable, destructive, and fierce this beast would be. But he goes, God goes through all of this just to humble Job. And I want to take it a little farther. I want to continue to look at things. Because, you know, we know how birds fly now. You know, you could, could, you could describe, a, a, um, someone smart in that study could show that. But uh, I like to look at, you know, we all have different studies. Uh, and I think science is pretty cool. I like psychology as well. And in those fields, it's not hard to see God's creation at work. Uh, we're going to watch this video as Levi pulls it up. Oh, he's, he's good at this now. So this is like biology. You see a person made by God, grass, you know, how those that operates, sunlight feeds grass. Uh, and then you can zoom out and you see uh, land masses, how land was formed, continents. You're seeing rivers and lakes, how God formed that, how cool that is, how complex each one of these intricate systems is, continents, tectonic plates, sea life, sea structures, sea volcanoes, how the earth was formed, how the Arctic and everything interact with each other. And as you zoom out, you see the system of gravity affecting the moon, affecting the earth, which is then by the sun and larger asteroids nearby it. You see the system of the solar system and the inner, the inner planets of it and the outer planets, the asteroid belts, each one of these planets that we still don't know and are learning stuff about. And as you zoom out, you start to see where you know the solar system kind of loses its gravitational pull. We are just one solar system. There's, there's our solar system right there, everything that it affects. And then there's hundreds other just nearby. As you zoom out, you start to see thousands, millions, trillions of other galaxies just like our own. And these stars, fireballs of gas that explode and make black holes, rupture, destruction, throwing planets everywhere. You just see our Milky Way galaxy is one of numerous other galaxies. That was the closest galaxy, the Andromeda galaxy. And as you zoom out, you see a supercluster and what it calls the cosmic web. All galaxies, all these galaxies that God created in the seven days of creation, all of these galaxies, all just right there, God created all of that intricate system, how each one interacts with others, you know, from gravity, from the stars, black holes pulling in stuff, how all that physicist science works is so crazy and intricate. But what's crazy is you can zoom out as far as you, you know, you can zoom out and you see all that system, but you can also zoom in to see intricate design in just ourselves, you know, the design of a pupil, how the uh, light goes through the iris and hits the retina. 
and inside you know that you have the cells the white blood cells the blood vessels your system of nerves throughout your body and each side each cell uh, you have the chromosomes which make up your DNA and the information stored in there how how long that DNA would be if stretched out and how each DNA is made up of uh, different codes and each code is made up of different protein their proteins made up of each atom now each atom has electron fields we don't even know where electrons are they're just in a field somewhere and then that huge atom all the way in the very center in the very small center of an atom is a nucleus which holds protons and neutrons and how each proton and neutron is made up of these quarks they didn't teach me that in school I don't know what that is but just how how vast all that is I mean just zooming out of one thing how these systems work together and you could keep going about how light photosynthesis makes plants and energy and how these different systems interact and how it's it's just so mind-boggling and each study would have it I'm sure a farmer sees crazy amounts of God's creation and work and how it farms and how plants interact and that and you know a doctor would definitely see the intricacy of the human body I mean it's just so crazy to think about how this how it all works uh, the vastness of the universe, the complexity. Where was I? I just lost it. The vastness of the universe, the complexity of thought, the intricacy of our bodies, how dolphins think, or what Saturn's surface looks like, no one knows. No man knows. Like, how, like, how do your fingernails grow out of my little plushy, plushy little body? I don't know how, I don't know how that happens, but God does understand. God understands how you know the surface of Saturn that no one's seen. He understands all this and so much more, more than we can even comprehend. And what's the best part is he said the Bible says God's ways are good. So the book of Job poses the question, why does God allow suffering? That's that seems like what we're setting up for. I mean, Job and his friends are discussing, why am I suffering? It's cuz you're bad. No, I'm innocent. Well, then you must have done something. No, I'm innocent. Well, let's say if you would have done this, you know, if you would have hypothetically done this, then you would be deserving of this. And Job's like, I didn't do any of that. So it sets up, why does God allow suffering? And God doesn't give us an answer. Job doesn't get an answer. What he gets is he gets humbled. In 1 Corinthians 13.9, it says, Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only a part of the whole picture. No human can know God's plan. I mean, even the prophecies, even the people that God spoke to, that God interacted with, had no idea what this would look like at the end. Romans says, uh, and we know God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to purpose with them. God works everything for good. God works for us because he loves us. Acts 14.22 says that we must suffer hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven. And John says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Um, so trials and struggles. Why, why do we have trials and struggles? It's because we sin. It's because Adam sinned, Noah sinned, Moses sinned, you and I sin. Everyone in the Bible sinned. Every sin is causing this struggle. But as for why does God allow it, it's because he's good, it's because he's just, and he knows what's good. He knows how it's going to end. He knows what that's going to do for you, what that can do for you. And one of my favorite verses is in Romans 5, 3 through 5. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop in 
endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope in salvation. And I, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with, our, with his love. This verse should sound familiar. Those topics should sound familiar because they were the reasoning of this logo on our first youth group hoodies. And I, I, think of it all, I think of it all the time when someone's struggling. Because what struggling produces, to perseverance into character, it produces into hope. So we struggle so we think we can overcome, so that we can build our faith, so that we can have hope. Hope comes from that suffering. Suffering has some benefits and can work for your good. So what should you do when you face suffering? It's the title of the series. You trust God. Uh, and I want to try to uh, wrap this uh, into my original point of this. So, trusting God, you know, you got to trust God. We have a hope. You know, we've seen all he does. He knows everything. He knows what's good for us. We trust him. What happens is that we will become, one day, we will be reunited with him in all of creation. So, have you ever seen those movies where the hero or the heroine, heroine has just saved the empire or kingdom and everyone bows down to the protagonist? How cool would it be to be that person? Like, you just saved the whole world. Uh, for example, I think of the scene in Mulan. Levi, if you'll pull the scene up in Mulan. I also like Disney movies. Crank it. of Mushu. It's the dragon. Um, so now in Christianity, I think that hero, I think the hero in the story of ours is Jesus. Jesus has already saved everyone and one day, after the last day, all of heaven will bow down and praise Lord Jesus. But looking back at that scene, how cool, you know, it'd be cool to be Mulan. I'm not going to, you mean, you just defeated everything. But like, she did a lot of work, right? You know, it'd be cooler to be her friends, right? You're up there with her. And you're getting all the praise, and everyone's bowing down to her, and you're, you're like, right there, so it's pretty much you, too. So, I, I mean, it would be cool to be her friends. I mean, like, they didn't, they, I mean, sure, they worked for it. They worked hard in the movie. But, like, the, the climactic battle was not them. They were, like, covered in snow or something. So, like, I would want to be her friends. And, uh, you know, you get to meet the emperor, you're, you're next to the hero, and you look super important. But I think, I think we are those people. I think we are the friends of the person, of the Savior. All of creation was good, but one was very good. That's human. So I think at the end of the earth, in the coming of Christ, we'll be up there with Christ, praise and bowing down to him. Uh, but I think what there's going to be is we're going to be a separation. All creation was good. We were very good. In heaven, we will stand above of all creation, I think. Oop, my thingy. 
uh, I think we'll be standing on a level above them, and so we'll be there worshiping with all of creation, with the dinosaurs, with the massive birds, the cosmic galaxies, the powerful black holes, the enormous elephants. Because Jesus didn't come to preach to the elephants, or the rocks, or the galaxies. Jesus came specifically to preach to his people, to preach to us. So imagine you're sitting at the throne of God, praising with the stars of the universe, the majestic beasts of the world, with the glory of God shining everywhere, and Jesus came and he died for us. We'll be sitting there above all of creation, praising without pain, without hurt, loss, temptation, or stress, to the only person who deserves our highest praise, God. Jesus came so we could be with all of creation, with the angels, behemoth, leviathan, the galaxies. And with all those magnificent creatures, one group created in God's image and loved, one group was created in God's image and loved more than any others, and that group was us. Trust God because he has a plan for your life and he knows so much more than us. Stand in wonder of his creation he made so wonderfully complex. Let's pray. God, just the example of yourself that is creation. Thank you for being a wonderful God who made us so intricately created so we can see your design in just not only ourselves, but also in the galaxies 